Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and for those that don't know, I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine. And we're today um, beginning into a new series, I mean, you can see on the screen um, behind me, uh, One Big Story of God's Grace. Now, when we talk about God's grace, um, we all kind of go directly to um, what did Jesus do, right? Jesus came, Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, Jesus rose again from the dead, defeating the power of sin, and, and then he has been at work by his spirit, drawing a people to himself. And so we think about that, and, and that's accurate, and that's right. But that's not where God's grace began. See, God's grace began all the way back at the beginning. And the Bible is an unfolding plan of his grace. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see God working through the people of Israel, beginning to show his grace to Israel, but also um, to the world. But if you remember, um, all throughout the Old Testament... We see there, too, that mankind is desperate, desperate for God to work on their behalf. We see the people of Israel again and again having to learn this need for grace. We see that they struggled to understand, that they struggled to trust. But God was always at work saving his people and moving his people toward Jesus moving his people toward the true rest that only Jesus could bring. And that true rest would be for those who repent of their sin and turn to faith in him. Today we're beginning the series in the book of Jeremiah. It's going to be just um, one chapter. It's Jeremiah chapter 31. And we're doing that because here in Jeremiah 31, we have one of the clearest glimpses of God's grace in the Old Testament, looking forward to Jesus looking forward to his saving work, looking forward to the rest that Jesus brings. So turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. And we're going to read in verses 1 through 6. And I remind you as you do so, um, this is God's word. Nothing in here is in here by mistake. It's all here to teach us what we're to believe about God, to teach us how we're to live in response to him. And so we look at it, as that, as the word of God, as we come to it together. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 1. It says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Have you ever thought about 
something that would give you rest or thought about a circumstance where you needed rest. Today, today we're going to see that because of God's grace, there is a promised rest for God's people. And that's kind of the focus of, of what we're going to look at today. But, but have you ever thought about this thing that you were looking forward to? Maybe it was a vacation and you were looking forward to it and you thought, that's going to give me the rest I need. But did you go on vacation? And either things just don't go anything like you want and it's just exhausting, right? Or, or let's, let's think a little better than that. Let's say you go on vacation and, and it's okay, it's fine, you enjoy it, but then you get back and you kind of need a vacation from your vacation or you're just exhausted. Um, and especially if you have kids, you, you just, you come back and you feel that way, right? See, I think all of us begin our lives thinking things are gonna get easier, Right? We kind of walk through this, we kind of think, well, hopefully this gets easier, or I will eventually get to have rest. And our definition around this room, if we went around and asked everyone, our definition of what that rest might look like uh, may be different. But in general, as adults, it's hard to say this to kids because they don't get it yet, right? But as adults in general, we kind of look forward to, we kind of think the idea of rest sounds pretty good. Whatever our definition of that is. And so we might find ourselves going through life thinking, if I can just get to that next season. But the next season rarely gives us what we're looking for, does it? And you know what eventually happens? We run out of seasons. And we're still looking for that rest. The Bible teaches us that that's the case because... We can't actually find the rest we need with a nap or a new activity or a new season. Those things are good. Often they are, they are gifts from God even. I look forward to sometime this afternoon, hopefully getting my Sunday afternoon nap, right? But those things by themselves will not give us the rest that we truly need. The rest that we need to walk through this life. And so today, our first point is that we all, just like the people of Israel that we're going to see in this passage, we all have a desperate need for the promised rest. The Israelite people in this passage were in exile. Okay, so, so we're going to look at them first. The people in exile needed the promised rest. Look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. So I want to give you a little bit more context. We're picking up in chapter 31, so I need to give you a little context of what's been going on um, with the people of Israel here. The whole context of the book tells us that Jeremiah was a prophet, and God was speaking through him to the people of Israel, and specifically to the people of the southern kingdom of Israel who had been carried off into exile. They've been carried off into exile in Babylonian captivity. And so we know from Jeremiah 29.10, just a couple chapters before this, that God had told them they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. Right? So what, what was happening there in chapter 29 is that the people of Israel were beginning to hear false prophets among them, among their people, who were telling them they were going to, that it really wasn't going to be that long. God was going to get them out of that before then. Right? Well, God comes through Jeremiah in chapter 29, and he says, no, 
No, you're actually going to be there the full 70 years that I told you you were going to be there. And not only that, while you're there, instead of being there and being pitiful and just wishing you could be somewhere else, you're to build houses, you're to plant vineyards, you're to um, live life, you're to use your children. I mean, not you, that didn't sound right. You're, gonna, you're, supposed, you're supposed to take your children and marrying them to one another. And, and you're, this was the normal things of their life. And what God's telling them is, you're going to be there for 70 years and you need to live like I've told you to live, even there in that captivity. So God's reminding the people that the people who survived the sword, those in captivity, though he's also telling them they will again see God's promised rest as he restores them to the land of Israel. Verse 1 indicates that he's going to pull the clans of Israel together. He will once again be the God of those people. But he doesn't just promise what he'll do. He's even more gracious than that. Uh, through, through Jeremiah, God, God grabs the people's attention. And he says, and, and even though they might be having a hard time believing that they were in exile, because of that, he reminds them of his, their history with him. He reminds them of, of how things had been before. And he reminds them, this is not the first time the people of Israel have been kind of wanderers around, wandering around outside of the promised land they were looking for. And so he points them back to what we see throughout Exodus through Deuteronomy. Look at verse 2. Again, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. You remember the time they were wandering around in the, um, in, in the wilderness? You know, it's the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh tells them no. They go off into, they, they, they're fleeing from Pharaoh. God does some other things to get them out of there. Don't have time for the whole story. They're fleeing. The, the Red Sea parts. They go through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was a coming too. They came through. The uh, water crashed down on Pharaoh's army. People of Israel got out of there. And what do they do very quickly after that? They're like, yep, we got God. We're going to follow God. No, Moses, while he's getting the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel down, down at the bottom in there building a, calf to, a golden calf to worship. Right? Already their, their hearts are moving away from God. And so um, we, we see all that happening. And as a result of that, they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years before they could go into the promised land. Now that is a simplification of a lot of stuff in the Bible. Okay? So God's saying to the, to the people in exile now, hey, this has already happened once. Let me remember your forefathers. Remember what, what they went through. They really wanted to be in the land God had promised. They wanted the rest from the circumstances and the wanderings. And God's reminding them, eventually I gave that to them. I gave them the promised land. But he's now reminding the people in exile, this is your new wilderness. But just as he had been teaching them in the wilderness and the desert, now in exile, he's having to teach them again. That the rest they really need needed was to turn to him, was to trust him, was to find rest in him. That's the true rest they were looking for. But they were struggling to believe and to trust that. They may have even understood it in their minds, but they were struggling to trust and believe that in their hearts. 
are we that much different than the Israelites at times? Do we ever struggle to trust and believe that the rest we really need can only be found in Jesus? I'm not talking about intellectually. Most of us in this room would say we know that. But experientially, as we live this out, do we really trust it in our hearts? What do our actions say? What do our thoughts say? A lot of times we don't. We instead, if we decide to look to God a lot of times, um, and and maybe it's out of desperation or out of, well, it can't hurt to, to, to ask God to help. Right? Sometimes it's like that even that we turn to him. But when we do, sometimes it's, it's still just, Lord, would you please just change these circumstances around a little bit so that we can rest? Why do we want that? Where does that come from, that desire for that rest? Well, again, I think it comes all the way back to This understanding of this need for a true rest, even when we could settle for a nap or a change of circumstances, it comes all the way back to the beginning. All of us today need true rest. The end of verse 2 says, Israel sought rest. Why do we need it? Because rest was given to mankind, man and woman, by God. It was given because we need it. We need the physical rest, but we needed much more. Do you remember when God gave them rest? Adam and Eve. I say we got to go back to the beginning. I mean the real beginning. Do you remember when God instituted rest? Was it before or after sin entered the world? We might be surprised to remember that it was before. It was before sin entered the world. God gave Adam rest. Adam, mankind, created on the sixth day. On the seventh day, God rested. I don't think God needed the rest, but God instituted the rest for his people. Before they did any work, he's created on the sixth day, rest on the seventh. Before any work was done, Adam rested. What was the point of that? What was the point of the rest? Because I think maybe we don't understand rest. We think, well, I worked hard, now I need rest. The rest was different. God did that so that those created in his image would continue to reset, continue to have connection with him. And it's that connection with him that prepared for the week or prepared for the circumstances that were going to come in life. And so God gives us the rest because even though he's always present, we sometimes forget that he's there. Or we sometimes live like we've forgotten that he's there. And so even before the fall, man needed to be reminded of the ever-present God. Even before all the distractions, all the distortions that sin brings about, man needed rest. And and now, now back there he calls this now the Sabbath rest. Man needed this Sabbath rest, this rest. And he needed to be reminded that it was God Through the work of Jesus is the place that we find true rest. Adam needed to be reminded, mankind, we need to be reminded that there's someone greater than us and that's who we need. Now, if it's necessary for man to have that before the fall, 
it's necessary for us to have that before the fall, how much more do we need this true rest now? As we deal with the brokenness of this world, how much more do we need to have the rest where we, our minds are reset and we think we, we are turned back to God, who is our only hope of true rest, now that things are broken? Now that the relationship with God is broken, now the relationship with one another is broken, now that we see, um, we see our children dealing with things, now that marriages are struggling, now that people lose jobs and we're just like, how are we even going to provide for our family? How much more do we need that rest now? A lot of times, those are the moments we don't want to come get the rest. We don't want, don't want to be together for the rest, and yet those are the places where we need to be. We all need the true rest. Second point is that the promised rest is found in the grace of a faithful God. Look back to the end of verse 2 and then into verse 3. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So I'm going to go back to the people of exile a minute because that's who this passage is to. God's just told them, again, that they're going to be in exile for 70 years. And, and they still had a majority of that time left. It's not like, oh, we got to year 69, and now, uh, now it's like, oh, you, do, you got one more year. It's, um, it's, it's a bigger portion of that time. And he had told them, again, I told you a minute ago, while they were there, um, there was going to be no peace in Israel. It was under Babylonian control. And in their minds, it seemed that the promised rest that, that would... Um, would be that God would get them back to Israel ASAP. And, and again, God told them, no, that's not true. Instead, they were told by God, again, make the homes, live in them. And I bring that up again because they were supposed to plant vineyards. And they were supposed to do that stuff, even though technically none of that stuff was going to belong to them in Babylon. They were regularly subject to soldiers in the government taking from them whatever they wanted. And they would likely have lived most of their time on edge. I mean, you think about it. You do all your stuff, you're kind of on edge if there's always a chance somebody's going to come by and take it all. And it's this protective mindset, always waiting for someone to come and take what was theirs or mess with their lives. That doesn't feel very restful. When Israel sought rest at the end of verse 2, where does it say they're going to find it? In verse 3. They needed to turn to the Lord who appeared to them from far away. It was like this picture of uh, he appeared to them from a distant land because he felt so distant from them here in exile. They needed to turn to the Lord because it was God who loved them with an everlasting love. And we hear that word and we, throw it, we, we use it a lot. Let me just remind you what the Israelites would have heard when they used the word everlasting or um, the, we, in our Bibles a lot of times it's translated as steadfast love, covenant love. They would have heard this to be this ancient love, this love from of old, this love that was not dependent on them but instead was dependent on God, on God's decision, on God's work. And in the Hebrew language, this was a love that, that was as sure as the rising and the setting of the sun. 
That's the type of love God's saying here. This is where you need to turn back to the God who has loved you with an everlasting love. And they needed to turn to the Lord because it wasn't just this everlasting love. He was also committing to continue his faithfulness to them. That's what we see there in verse 2. And so he points them back to the fact that I've done this before and I'm doing it now. I've done it before when I did it with the people in the wilderness, with, with, with your forefathers in the wilderness, and I'm doing it again now. And so the point that's made here is that God's promising the grace of his rest to his people wherever they are, whatever they may be going through. He is promising his rest to them. saying, through my grace extended to you, through the grace of a faithful God, you can find rest now, and there's a promised rest to come. And so that's what we see him showing them in verses 4 through 6. He's showing them there's the rest now, but he's also now in verses 4 through 6 showing them the rest to come. I'm going to go through these um, fairly quickly and apply them. Verse four says, and again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel, and you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of merrymakers. God tells them that the circumstances will change and he will restore Israel and again, they will worship in his temple. John and uh, Jordan, we were joking earlier. I don't know, they might've been serious. I sure wasn't. Uh, We were joking earlier that I should have a tambourine up here and, and, and demonstrate, well, I already told some people at the marriage conference, I don't know how to dance, so I didn't do that, right? Uh, but here's, why, here's the point of that. What, what they're talking about here is this is a picture. So when Israel would go up to the temple to worship, right? When they would go up to the temple to worship, the, the people would be in front, there would be people in front with the tambourines and the whole, they're leading the processional to go up to worship. And so it's this picture of returning to the importance of the value of going up to worship the, the living God. And so there's something that, that brings joy and hope of this promised rest to come. And again, it says in verse five, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. This is a picture that there will be again peace between the northern and southern kingdom of Israel. That wasn't true at this moment when they were in captivity. And God's saying, I'm going to, verse one, he's going to bring all the clans together. He's, gonna, he's the God of all the clans of Israel Two, he's going to bring, so now he's going to bring the northern southern kingdom together again. And for us today, this is a picture of the new heavens and the new earth where all that's going to be restored. And then he says, the planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. They're going to have plenty, is what it's saying. And the fruit, with the fruit comes the, the, the staple of the day. They're going to have the wine. They're going to have the, the rejoicing together. And they'll be able to enjoy that fruit Things won't be stolen by the soldiers and those around them. And then in verse six, for there shall be a day when the watchman will call in the hill country of Ephraim, arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. They will again be called to go together to worship the true and the living God, the faithful God. And that's where they will find true rest. All of us, all of us need the rest found in the grace of a faithful God. Some of you are, are, are feeling that right now. Some of you maybe not, but, but the reality is we all need it. 
All of us need the rest that is found in the grace of a faithful God. And there's two parts to that. We all need the future and eternal rest. Right? We talk about that a good bit. For the, for the Israelites, there was the wilderness and then the promised land. For those in exile, they were, they were in exile, and then it's to come back to Israel, things being restored. For us today, Hebrews 4 takes both of those things and applies for us. And I'm not going to go there right now, but just to tell you, Hebrews 4 takes that and applies for us that we are currently living in exile. But things will be restored in the new heavens and the new earth. Things will be how they were meant to be. God is making all things new. And so for us, we're in exile now in this world that is broken due to sin. But because of the work of Jesus, both in our hearts individually and what he's going to do, things will be restored. And there's also the present and the real rest for now. The gospel promise from God is this. I know who you are. I see where you are. I see what's weighing on you heavily right now. Through the work of Jesus, I am giving you a place in the midst of your trials and struggles. I am giving you a place of rest. I'm giving you a place to come. And we find that place in Jesus' own words in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We need Jesus. We need the rest that only he can give. It's the rest that says we can be who we are. It's the rest that says we can deal with the sin, the remaining sin in our hearts because of who he is. We can walk through the, the trials and the strains of this life because of who he is. And we can trust and rest in the truth that as followers of Jesus, those who are here trusting in him, God is going to continue to grow our trust day by day. That's why we also need Sabbath rest. See, back in Genesis, it tied it all together. And then God continues to show that again and again and again. For the Christian church, Sabbath rest is meant to be on Sunday. It's meant to give us an opportunity. See, see, we think a lot of times of Sabbath rest, we can kind of find it as this is something we need to go do before we can go do everything else. I know somebody else has thought that that's in this room at some point in your life, right? We think that way sometimes. But this is a gift of God. This is a gift from him because it's an opportunity for us to stop from daily striving and to come together and reflect on who God is. I don't know about you, but some days I'm not feeling very reflective about who God is. 
I need you to help me reflect on who God is. As we pray together, as we sing together, as we talk here in the welcome area, that's called this, this idea of fellowship together. You know, it's kind of silly to me sometimes that um, myself and, and Pastor Mark and Pastor John and others who preach here, I'm like, what in the world? Why, do, why, why is this so important? I don't really think that, but my mind can go there sometimes. And the Bible says, so just to be clear, the Bible calls it folly. I prayed about this earlier. The Bible calls what we do in preaching, the, the preaching of man, folly, right? And he said to do it. And he said that the Spirit of God is going to take the Word of God, and he is going to use it through the folly of preaching. And so we do it. Because there's power in it. There isn't power in us other than the Spirit of God that is living in us. And so we do it. It doesn't mean this rest doesn't mean we always feel like it, but we need it. And so he tells us, don't forsake gathering together. Come together, come in these ways, come to the Lord's Supper. Come through fellowship together. This rest is built into the Christian week, right? We need this rest all week long. Y'all know that, right? <laughs> we need this rest all week long, but, but there is a place built into the week that we are to come together because of how desperately we need to remind each other to look to Jesus, to find our rest in him. None of the other things we're looking for are going to give it. This weekend at the, the marriage conference, David Settle used an example that I'm going to kind of take and adapt a little bit. Um, and let's, let's suggest that you wanted to find rest, right? And so you have in your mind, I'm going to go somewhere on the Gulf Coast, a place where, um, let's just say it's Destin, and you have a place where you can go, and all you're going to have to worry about is just come out of your house, walk out on the beach, um, you know, just enjoy that time. You're not really going to be bothered, right? And you want to go there and you want to find that rest, okay? I'm not telling you there's anything wrong with that. That actually sounded pretty good to some of you right then, um, right? Me too, by the way. Uh, but you, you, so, so that's your mindset, all right? And so you go to 400, and you turn north, and you head to Dahlonega. Do you all understand that when we forsake gathering together, when we don't come to the places that God says we will find him and, and, and together point one another to him, we're turning and going to Dahlonega. We say we won't rest, well, why aren't we going where God says we can find it? Don't turn the other way. Come to Jesus. Come and let's together keep pointing one another to Jesus where we might find rest. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just acknowledge before you with your people that there are places in our hearts right now, Lord, where we might be screaming, yeah, I know I need Jesus, but this, or but this, or but this, or but this. And Lord, those things are real. They're the real experiences we're facing. They're the real things we're struggling with. And so, Lord, 
just ask that in this moment, by your spirit, you would, you would Lord, give us a replenishing, a, a, Lord, a new hope that we can find rest in you, Jesus. And Lord, where anyone here is just struggling deeply with believing this today, I pray that you would be gracious, that you would be tender, but that you would be clear. And Lord, draw their hearts to you. Lord, we just take a moment as we prepare for your table or to just confess silently before you those places in our hearts where we're turning to Dahlonega instead of running to you. Lord, hear the prayers of your people. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.